banded together from remote galaxies are 13 of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Only one group dares to challenge this intergalactic threat, the Super Friends. Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is the Challenge of the Super Friends. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 111 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I'm going to begin the second half of my coverage of season three of Super Friends, the season title Challenge of the Super Friends, at least most commonly referred to as that. I am going to cover the new Super Friends episodes, the Antimatter Monster and World Beneath the Ice, and the Challenge of the Super Friends episodes, Revenge on Gorilla City, and Swamp of the Living Dead. You know, episodes that are probably not as good as the ones I covered in last week's episode, but decent episodes nonetheless. Uh, I haven't encountered a bad episode yet this season, but while some have been better than others, and I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing what the second half of this season has in store for me as... Uh, I barrel closer and closer toward October and my coverage of Superman the movie, which, if you can't tell by uh, the sheer fact that I keep mentioning it, is something that I'm really looking forward to. But before I get to this week's business, I have some feedback to address from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on episode number 100, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Wow, you're planning for the long haul, aren't you? I hope this podcast lasts for a long time to come, and I hope I'm around for as much of it as possible. I guess, by the way, that you are younger than I thought you were. I guess you've done such good detailed commentary on Kirk Allen's Superman serials and the George Reeves TV series that I assumed you were a little closer to my advanced age than you actually are. Please take that as a compliment to you. In The Mysterious Time Creatures, I love the aging and de-aging business, which was a frequent gimmick in my beloved Silver Age. At least in this case, the kid super friends didn't use idiotic baby talk you saw in the comics. Me, I'm hungry, etc. When the writers never seem to have heard actual toddlers talk. It was good, too, that the evil that the evil alien Dictor was actually evil and not just misguided. I liked your bafflement when Batman has a mouse compartment in his utility vault. Why is this man collecting rodents, you asked? He's Batman. Bats are essentially winged mice. Maybe he feels a kinship with rodents. Also, don't forget that Batman also carries shock repellent spray in his utility belt, too, as we saw in the Adam West Batman movie. So that utility belt has whatever the plot requires. In The Secret Four, we get another lesson about the energy crisis, as we often saw in Season 1. We also get to see Superman and Batman as best buddies, as I always like to think of them. And you're right that the title alone for sitting in a bottle almost forces us to think of Brainiac. I wonder if someone decided that, since Brainiac made several appearances in the Filmation cartoons, maybe they should lay off him for a while, so as not to overexpose the character. I also love the throwaway phrase, Routine UFO Report, as if UFOs are as common as rain showers. I'm looking forward to the next episode, if for no other reason than the intriguing title, Super Friends vs. Super Friends. Live long and prosper, Dave. And as usual, thank you Dave for writing in, just uh couple of uh, comments I want to make. Uh, one of Dave's uh, statements is that he hopes uh, he is around for as much of the podcast as possible. And you know what? I guess I hope I'm around for as much of, of this podcast as possible, too. And uh, basically what Dave's referring to there, as far as my planning for the long haul, is during episode 100, I talked about my goal for the podcast and uh, whatnot. I have 
counted out about how many episodes it would be to get me toward the end of Superman the Animated Series that puts me somewhere at not quite 300, somewhere in the 290s. Here I am, episode 110, so I did say that if the show got at least to there, I'd probably be happy with it. Because, like I mentioned then, the show is mainly designed to be retrospective. The closer I get to the modern age, kind of the less retrospective it becomes. And the less attachment I have to content that is a little bit newer. You know, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about now, I've been watching since I was a child, so there's that connection that goes back to childhood. Obviously, stuff I've watched as an adult, I, I don't have the same emotional attachment to. As far as Dave's comments on the episodes, well, first, I'd like to uh, thank Dave for his compliment, thinking I'm older due to how well I covered uh, the Kirk Allen series on the George Reeves TV show. But one of the things I want to point out is that due to, you know, VHS tapes and whatnot, and DVDs now, and syndication, of course, I really have been watching the George Reeves TV show and the Kirk Allen serial since I was a kid. I mean, I've had those Kirk Allen VHSs since 1988 when they were released during the 50th anniversary of Superman. So this content has been part of my life since I was a small child. I really don't have anything to add to Dave's comments on the episodes. They are what they are. As far as his uh, comment on sitting in the bottle about producers not wanting to overexpose Brainiac due to his several appearances in the filmation cartoons... I don't think that was it because they really hadn't used any, aside from the Gentleman Ghost, any DC Comics supervillains in Season 2. So I think it was just a way for them to use the concept without actually using the character. So, thank you Dave for writing in and I encourage anybody else to write in. Manascreen at gmail.com With that out of the way, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back with my coverage of the new Super Friends episode, The Antimatter Monster, and Revenge on Gorilla City. Hang around, folks. In the annals of television history, there are TV shows and characters that changed our culture and helped define generations. These are not those shows. It's time to close up the bar, leave the war, and quit your yuppie whining so you can step on board the Enterprise D, run alongside the Hoff, stop time with your fingers, and introduce your family to the voice input child identikit. Because this summer, Pop Culture Affidavit is taking you to the depths of 80s and 90s television with. It came from syndication! For seven weeks, I'll be taking a look at a variety of syndicated TV genres, from the lauded science fiction of Star Trek The Next Generation to the... This was a show? Of small wonder. Along the way, we'll battle with the Thundercats, run through the funhouse, give thumbs up at the movies, and have a very current affair. Pop Culture Affidavit presents... It Came From Syndication! Coming July 11th, to popcultureaffidavit.com and two true freaks.com. Alright, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes of this segment had an original broadcast date of November 4th, 1978, and we're going to begin with the new Super Friends episode, The Antimatter Monster. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A group of scientists at the Gotham Scientific Research Center test their theory of making antimatter into a new source of energy. 
gentlemen, after 16 years of worldwide research, the Omega project is finally complete. Our cyclonic antimatter generator is capable of producing a new negative source of energy, which, if successful, will end the world's dependence on natural energy resources. Our primary test will be at half power. Our diffuser is ready, Dr. Hale. Thermoelectric converters on! Tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, we will test the antimatter at full power. Later, though, some would sneak that into the center and programs an antimatter monster to steal Earth's energy. Superman goes to a Turkish hydroelectric plant where the monster is first spotted, but it vanishes when he arrives. While the Wonder Twins learn that a real computer tape is the real project program. Computer analysis indicates your reel of magnetic tape contains program for antimatter energy control. Jupiters, if that's the control tape for the antimatter, then what's on the computer at the research center? I don't know, but there's only one way to find out. Gotcha, Super Sis. Let's go. Aquaman is nearly finished at the Alaskan oil rigs by the monster. The twins go to the center to investigate their tape, but are almost disintegrated by an antimatter beam. When they escape, they discover that the actual programming computer has been stolen as well. And after we escaped, we realized the antimatter computer had been stolen also. Thanks, Wonder Twins. Get back to the Hall of Justice as soon as you can. It all adds up to the fact that one of the four scientists must be behind the creation of the energy creature. And whoever he is, he can now handle the thing by remote control. Holy microwaves! Why would anybody want to turn loose an energy monster? I don't know, Robin, but I've got a plan that might tell us. With Wonder Woman disguised as a government scientist trying to reverse the effects of the energy creature, our culprit is just liable to show his hand. I'll tag along as curious Clark Kent and find out what I can. Superman as Clark Kent and Wonder Woman as government scientist Andrea Randolph go to the center to discover which scientists could be controlling the creature. Wonder Woman gets sidetracked by the mystery man who lures her into a trap and uses the monster to drain her energy. There's no way to stop the energy creature. Any contact with him drains all of our energy. At least we know what its creator is after. Now all we have to do is figure out who he is and stop him before he controls all the world's energy. It's the trouble alert. Superman, we finally discovered a way to defuse the energy creature's power. This giant electron absorbing belt must be fitted around the energy creature. A receiving unit will draw off the creature's energy and beam it back to the cyclonic generator. But in order to put the belt on the creature, I'll have to come in contact with it. No problem, Superman. We've devised a clear insulating spray that will protect you from the creature for five minutes. Set up your equipment at the Gomer nuclear power plant. The energy creature is bound to show up there sooner or later. Right, Batman. We'll take care of it. Upon learning that a giant absorbing belt can neutralize the creature for good, Superman is sprayed with a substance that will keep him from being drained. During the battle, Batman and Robin find the missing program computer in Dr. Starnes' truck and catch him, as Starnes is the monster's creator. The monster is neutralized, and everything's as it should be once more. Now that Dr. Starnes is in the hands of the authorities, they're making much faster advancements in our research. We've already improved the antimatter energy. We'll have an unlimited supply of power for thousands of years to come. Oh no! Gleek! Watch out! Gleek! He's gone! 
Our little pet has been dissolved into energy. Don't worry, kids. The antimatter has been neutralized. It's harmless. <laughs> Looks like Link's got his own unlimited supply of energy. <laughs> All right, so this episode wasn't so bad. It, it introduced us to um, an antimatter creature, which is basically an energy monster. And this episode had a little bit of mystery for us, as uh, the villain wasn't... Uh, clear cut early on we knew there was a villain that was creating the antimatter monster but we didn't know who it was as he had a hood over his face and one of my notes that i had going forward as i was watching the episode remember i don't really read the synopses before i watch the episode is i figured out pretty early on that the antimatter monster was pretty much an inside job so the Starting off with the episode, the scientists have completed the cyclotron, which will help end the energy crisis. This episode being written in the late 70s, uh, the recent energy crisis is still uh, fresh in everybody's minds. And a lot of the plots are, and a lot of the plots deal with trying to find ways to make sure another energy crisis is prevented. The uh, cyclotron is a device Lex Luthor used in the Adaman vs. Superman serial, and I believe the comics as well. Now, here's someone breaking into the research plant, and it replaces the tape reel, and it creates a monster that is glowing green with a force field around it. Looks some kind of, you know, demonic bear-like creature. So these scientists go to investigate, and this huge beast is coming out of the generator, and just as I think it's about to kill Dr. Hale, it disappears. So, somehow, the monster appears in Turkey. Again, the voice acting in this show is kind of very poor, as, uh, these people are very calm about their impending doom. Not the Hall of Justice. The twins and Gleek are messing around with home movies when the trouble alert goes off with a message from Turkey. And that's when we get the signal from Turkey about the monster attacking the hydroelectric plant. So Superman will take it upon himself to check this out. And surely this is a threat that he can handle on his own. At least he thinks so. One of the things I've noticed in this particular season is there's a lot of the super friends going off on their own. And, you know, maybe if they took the entire team once in a while, some of these threats wouldn't kind of balloon on them. Meanwhile, the creature has blacked out most of Eastern Europe, and I guess it's using the electricity to grow to enormous sizes. And of course, it outwitted Superman by disappearing as soon as he got close to it. Now, the scientists in Gotham say it's an overload, and if you look at the casting, so to speak, in the episode, uh, there is some diversity in the scientific crew with one of the scientists is a black woman. Now, that kind of stands out as odd in a 1970s cartoon where everything is basically uh, white men, so I guess kudos to the animators for... Uh, exhibiting some forward thinking. Gleek has an idea about how to stop the creature by showing them the computer tape, and the keen viewer knows that the mysterious person who broke into the plant switched out the computer tape. And for those of you unfamiliar with uh, 1970s-style computers, and I'm not really incredibly familiar with them either, but a lot of their program is on these tape reels. I think that's how they work. So by swapping out the tape reel, they were able to change the program on the computer. Now, one of the annoying things about these shows is that the computer tends to become a plot device that basically tells the heroes where to go and what to do. You kind of hear me when I comment on how they go on search for something on the internet, and that's kind of the machine, the computer telling them, you know, what they need to do. I guess it's necessary as a shortcut to keep the action moving and the kids with their short attention spans engaged, but it just seems like a cheat for, you know, the super friends to just ask the computer what to do and it spits out the information they need. So here's our masked man at the uh, back of the plant, and he's running the tape again. And this is the point in the episode where I started to wonder whether this was an inside job. And just for the record, folks, being that I don't know many of these episodes, and as I mentioned before, I don't read the synopses before I watch many of these episodes. So what you're hearing in my notes is my reactions as I watch them. You know, I don't pre-watch them and then take notes later. 
obviously, obviously it'll be a little bit different when I get to other things that I'm more familiar with, where I'll just be taking notes on what I'm seeing and probably bringing in some ahead-of-time knowledge. I'm not really doing that as much with these episodes. So the creature goes to an oil rig in Alaska and drains the energy from there. And Aquaman has the fish try to contain the energy creature, and then he tries to lasso it with some seaweed and basically gets pulled into the creature's grip for his trouble. Basically, the creature sucks the energy out of uh, Aquaman's body, kind of like the parasite would. So back at the hall, the, well, the computer reveals that Gleek found the antimatter control program for the reactor, and that sends the twins to check out the goings-on over at the center. And Gleek finds our masked man, so there we go. There we have the Wonder Twins actually doing something useful. So Gleek finds our masked man and turns on the machine and traps the twins who, despite their good intentions, get caught again. Interestingly enough, to activate their own Wonder Twin powers, they take their gloves off in this episode and as Jaina kangaroos them out of there, Gleek is freezing in her pouch because Zan turned into ice cubes. So the masked man gets away with the antimatter controls. So when the twins call in their information, Wonder Woman goes where I've been suspecting. She's thinking it might be an inside job, but now it's con- the monster is controlled by remote control. So Superman has a plan. And it's nice to see Superman using his brain and thinking up of a plan. And his plan is for he and Wonder Woman to infiltrate the center. And I love seeing Superman using his guise as Clark Kent to get things done. Wonder Woman is pretending to be a scientist called Dr. Andrea Randolph. And boy, does she wear nerdy circular glasses. Really big, uh, you know, kind of almost like frog uh like eyes there and you know that's one of the popular tropes i guess so glasses fool everybody and and while the scientists are distracted with wonder woman's disguise clark Kent is wandering free in the plant then wonder woman and her disguise get the phone call and she wonders that it's not one of the scientists but the imagery gives away that it still could be one of the scientists as the phone message is from a recording you see very clearly that the phone is lying on a desk or a table and there's a tape recorder that is talking to diana over the line and then, boom, Wonder Woman is captured and reveals herself, getting rid of the disguise, as, you know, it wasn't really a proper secret identity, it was a ploy Wonder Woman used to get inside the plant. And you would think that Superman would have heard something by now, something going on, but his absence allows Wonder Woman to get defeated by the creature. So, the scientists have developed a giant belt to take care of the creature, and they're going to spray Superman with a solution that will protect him from the creature's leeching ability. So the monster is meant to be dispatched in an hour, as it could be one of the scientists, as the thing is being handled remotely. Now, here is Gleek running afoul of a trash can-shaped robot, which kind of bring, tries to bring about some comedy. It's up to you to decide how funny it is if you watch the episode, but I didn't think it was all that funny. Maybe a kid thinks it is, you know. One of these things I have to try to do is watch these episodes with more my kid sensibilities instead of my adult ones, but some of the humor from the Wonder Twins to me always rings a little bit silly. So Superman gets sprayed with this solution, and he only has five minutes to put this belt on the creature, which, you know, really is an eternity for Superman at his speed, but we're going to find out that it's not he's not nearly going to have as much time as he thinks. So Batman and Robin find the uh, control computer on Dr. Starnes' truck, while Superman attempts to get the belt on this energy creature, which can move pretty fast. And this is where we learn that Dr. Starnes is our culprit, as he only created a spray to last a minute not the five that Superman expected to have. So, basically what happens here is Starn bolts and Batman and Robin give chase as, of course, Batman has a device that will control the bridge. He uh, shoots a grappling hook out from his vehicle and it opens the bridge and Batman raises the drawbridge and he kind of stops Starns in the middle. It's kind of an interesting image. The bridge starts going up and Starns' car is suspended over the gap in the two bridges, almost as if his car stopped the bridge from going up the rest of the way, which wouldn't happen. 
the car is not nearly heavy enough to stop the bridge from opening. What would probably happen is the bridge will continue opening and the car will just fall into the river below. But that's not going to happen in a kid's cartoon. And the image of the truck suspended over the uh, gap in the bridge is pretty funny. So at the end, with, with Starnes caught and everybody uh, kind of going about their business, we get a comedic bit with Zan and Jaina. And Gleek are arrested by the robot that I mentioned before. So your mileage may vary on some of the humor in this episode. And... This episode ends with Bleak falling into the cyclotron and comes out glowing like the energy creature. Very not funny. You know, not really a whole lot to this episode, but it was a nice little whodunit as we have to think to figure out who the villain is. And I like when these episodes try to you know, make the young viewers try to solve the mystery. But that kind of is what it is. And we're going to move on to the challenge of the Super Friends episode, Revenge on Gorilla City. And our synopsis from Superman on homepage.com is as follows. When Grodd is caught and again exiled from Africa's hidden gorilla city, he vows revenge. After we attach the Vitronic mind circuits, my newest device will be finished. Well, it looks like Grodd is a bit hot under the collar. Perhaps his simian siblings got the best of him again. No one gets the best of Grodd. Relax, I've just completed my brainwave amplifier. And with it, the Legion of Doom will be able to control anyone within a thousand mile radius. I can put your device to good use. All I have to do is rewire it to work on gorillas, and I can use it to take over Gorilla City once and for all. Forget grinding. Your battle with Gorilla City is your own personal affair. We have other plans for Brainiac's brainwave amplifier. The defeat of Gorilla City will do far more than gratify me. Once we have mental control of the gorillas, we can use their strength to help us take over the rest of the world. We don't want to play your silly games, Rod. Maybe you'd prefer to play games with me, Toy Man. Enough of this quibbling. Maybe Grodd's plan will work. Everything else we've tried has failed. But what about the Supergrants? They'll be an easy catch once we have the population of Gorilla City helping us. With the Legion, Grodd breaks back into the city and uses a brainwave transmitter of Brainiacs to control the populace. The city's leader, King Solovar, however, has escaped to warn the Justice League. It's Solovar, the ruler of Gorilla City. Flash, my city is in grave danger. The Legion of Doom has taken over the minds of every gorilla. Unless we can free them, I fear that Grodd will cause great destruction over the whole continent. We'd better get to Africa. Batman, Robin, Flash, and Apache Chief go to the city and are captured by Black Manta. Well, it looks like Black Manta's brought us back quite a catch. However, I'm feeling so nice today, I think I'll let you all go. Knowing your evil mind, Luthor, I think I'd prefer to stay longer up in these energy cubes. How perceptive you are, Boy Wonder. For I don't plan to release anyone until I've exposed you all to this power neutralizer. My super speed! It's gone! Our utility belts are useless. And now, you'll be given five minutes head start to run free into the jungle. Then... Shall hunt you down like animals for the sport of it. Then they are hunted by Sinestro and Giganta, while Toy Man leads a guerrilla army to conquer Africa. With the city's leader helping the hero survive nearly being killed, they regain their powers and shut off the brainwave tra- transmitter. Well, that wraps up another one of their evil escapades. 
the Legion of Doom is all present and accounted for. Having committed their crimes in Gorilla City, they are subject to our simian law. The Legion of Doom is subject to no one's law! Stopping ominously over the invisible Gorilla City, the remote-controlled Hall of Doom fires out a strange light-absorbing ray. Great Hera, what's happening? You'll find out, but too late! The Legion of Doom has escaped! And they will return again to plague those of us who uphold the rights of justice and freedom. Well, at least we taught them one thing. No matter who they unleash their ruthless schemes on, the Super Friends will be there to stop them. So this episode is a very good showcase for Gorilla Grodd. You know, for those of you who don't know, Grodd is a telepathic gorilla, one of the uh, main nemeses of the Flash. Not necessarily one of the rogues, you know, kept, which are Flash's main villains, but Grodd is a pretty heavy hitter in the DC Universe. Comes from the hidden gorilla city in Africa. The uh, Gorilla People, I'm not sure they're called anything other than that, are led by King Salivar, who is, uh, for all intents and purposes, a good guy, who exiles Grodd from Gorilla City because of his various uh, transgressions. I don't necessarily know if all the Gorillas are telepathic. I know Grodd is, so that might be something that makes Grodd stand out from the rest of the Gorillas. I haven't done you know that much research beyond that, and I'm just kind of going on what knowledge I have from the various uh, Flash comics that I've read that feature Gorilla Grodd. And anything else I might have seen. I do know Grodd appeared in uh, Batman Superman Public Enemies. I don't remember when that was made off the top of my head. Probably sometime in the late aughts. And Grodd was controlling a lot of the supervillains that went after Batman and Superman. That's a movie I'll cover way down the road. Depending on how far this podcast goes. So, as far as the episode goes, it starts not in the swamp, but in Gorilla City. Where Grodd is taking his revenge on his old home by trying to take it over. And he's going about this alone. And he uses a sonic drill to get through the city's force field. And the force field is what keeps the uh, Gorilla City from being seen. Gorilla City is invisible to the sight of humans. I'm not sure if it's just because human senses can't see past the force field or if it's some kind of magical thing. Uh, Somebody who knows more about Gorilla Grodd than I do will have to set me straight on that. But anyway, like I mentioned, he uses a sonic drill and uses a gas to terrify the gorillas. Grodd eventually says that he created this gas, but this is something much more akin to Scarecrow, as it's a gas that is going to show the gorillas their greatest fear. So Grodd marches to the throne room and talks tough to Solovar, the gorilla king, and that's where it's revealed that Solovar is kind of a step ahead of Grodd. So after he's caught, Solovar straps Grodd into something that looks like an electric chair, which is basically a teleporter that banishes Grodd to somewhere else, and... We finally get through the Legion of Doom meeting, and Grodd goes back to the Legion of the Swamp. I'm not sure what banishing Grodd accomplished, other than putting him right back where he started. You would think Solovar would try to find a a more permanent solution for Grodd. You know, if he doesn't want to execute the gorilla, just kind of uh, kicking him out of Gorilla City and putting him on Earth somewhere. Just kind of kicks the can down the road a little bit. It doesn't actually solve anything. I mean, if Grodd can just go back to the Legion of Doom after he's kicked out of Gorilla City, what has banishing him really accomplished. So, Brainiac creates a device to control people, and Grodd wants to take it and go after Gorilla City, but the Legion is not going for it. They say they have other plans for the device, but don't really mention what they are. So this is kind of interesting. It's Grodd against the entire Legion, but Luthor comes in on Grodd's side, basically because nothing else has worked. And we've seen that over the past eight Challenge of the Super Friends episodes, that nothing the Legion of Doom does has any effect on the Super Friends. They've lost every time. Grodd says having the Gorillas under their control will help them defeat the Super Friends. And here is now Grodd leading the Legion of Doom against Gorilla City. And Sinestro carves an entrance into Gorilla City, and the battle is on as Gorilla Security attacks the intruders, and 
Gigantic quickly takes care of the security as uh, she just grows really huge and kind of just grabs the gorillas. You know, it's a nice little action sequence, but very uh, simplistic. And uh, here is Grodd pulling on some wires. So, seeing what's going on, Solovar escapes to get help and basically leaves his people to get taken over by Grodd. What, what we see is uh, basically that Solovar will strap himself into, into the electric chair and teleport himself away, and it's not hard to guess where he's going. As Solovar shows up at the Hall of Justice looking for help. Superman and a few others are out in space fighting meteors or something, as evidenced by the shot on the screen of Superman doing just that. So, we're left with Batman and Robin, Apache Chief, and Flash. Like I mentioned before, Gorilla Grodd's chief nemesis. Against all of the Legion of Doom. So, Toy Man is training Gorilla troops and Solovar shows off his earplugs that help keep him from falling under Grodd's sway. Flash goes after Toy Man and the Gorilla troops attack. Batman has a Batarang balloon, which saves Robin. Flash gets rid of some troops by creating a tornado, which was a nice effect. And the uh, Apache Chief just grows and grabs a bunch of gorillas and the Toyman, kind of the same way Giganta defeated some gorillas earlier in the episode. And that's when uh, Black Manta shows up and imprisons them all in a block. Manta puts Flash in an empty box. Batman and Robin fall for a fake Manta, and they are trapped as well. You know, not a very good showing here for the remaining Super Friends. And again, with Superman off the table, the Super Friends fall apart really quick. So, Luthor, because, you know, he's feeling nice today. And he actually said that in the episode. Yeah, because I'm feeling nice or in a good mood, he's going to basically throw the Super Friends back. Kind of a Legion of Doom catch and release program. To Robin, that doesn't make a lot of sense that he's not buying it. But they're shot with a power neutralizer, and Luthor takes away Flash's speed, Batman and Robin's utility belts, and they don't seem to do anything to the Apache Chief. I guess allowing him to grow to humongous sizes uh, is okay. So basically what's going to happen is Grodd and company are going to hunt the Super Friends for sport. And while that's going on, the rest of the Legion is awful excited about conquering Africa. Probably one of the easiest continents to conquer if you're a member of the Legion of Doom. The uh, more developed nations are probably a little bit more difficult, but they'll probably get to that later if they can. Not much to report on this middle segment as it's basically Sinestro and Giganta hunting the Super Friends as a bunch of gorillas attack a neighboring city under the command of Black Manta. I love how a cop takes a minute to say, we're being hunted by gorillas, you know. As if being hunted by gorillas was just something that happened every Tuesday. Now, there was a glow around the Super Friends before they were captured, and I wonder if that meant anything. But but it's obviously not, as they're tied to a bunch of planks and rolled down a hill. Must have been an animation mistake that just kind of created a glow around them. I thought maybe that they were going to get their abilities back at that point, but they don't. But Solovar does save the... But Solovar saves the Super Friends by stopping the runaway cart, and now he's leading their escape. And they use a stream of gold as a giant radio conductor to send a message to Superman, who is presumably still off-planet. I am not sure if gold... If a stream of gold can work in this fashion, but it's going to for the purposes of this episode. So Superman, Wonder Woman, and Black Vulcan come back home, leaving Green Lantern and the others to uh, take care of the problem in Galaxy 13. So these heroes have significantly more power, and Black Black Vulcan is neutralized by his own powers, and Superman is hit by a kryptonite toy airplane and is eventually captured off-screen, which we don't actually get to see Superman get captured. We just see him notice the kryptonite plane and uh, fly away. The next time we see him, he's tied up and uh, with the plane sitting on his chest. Yet, I don't know if this was an oversight on the part of the animators or... Something that was cut for time, but Wonder Woman doesn't do anything, but she's captured just the same. We don't actually see what happens to Wonder Woman, which I found odd. Batman and his group are still wandering around useless as one of the gorillas reports they're returning to the city. And in the city, I like Solovar's interest as he looks like he's about to start throwing things around. And Flash hit the button, 
on a device and everyone gets their powers pack. I do like how Flash struggled with the device saying, I think it's one of these buttons. And he, oh, as of course, he pushes the right one. After Batman and Robin provide a distraction, of course. It's gotta be, a, it has to be a total team effort. Flash turns off the device and Batman and Robin provide the uh, distraction. So like I mentioned before, Wonder Woman is captured too. Not sure how, but she is. And just as they're about to be sent over a waterfall, that's when the gorillas shake the control from the uh, Brainiac's device and save the Super Friends. And it's weird seeing someone else saving the Super Friends, and with their powers restored, they very easily pick off the members of the Legion of Doom. The Legion knows they've lost, but Grodd won't give up, and the Legion of Doom is captured, man. You know, at this point, I'm not even getting emotionally involved in this defeat, because I know, per format of the show, that the Legion is going to get away. Uh, Apache Chief teeter-totters Brainiac and Cheetah into defeat, and Grodd is literally tabled. Now, if you watch the ending real quick, you'll see, and we'll look at Superman specifically, there's a quick second or two where Superman's S is, the colors are inverted before it corrects itself. The yellow part of the S is red and vice versa, but it's very quick and it'll fix itself in about one or two seconds. Now, of course, Luthor hit the button and they escape. Per, like I said, per format of the show, because the Legion of Doom needs to be free for the next episode. So, an okay episode, the middle with the hunger kind of boring, but like I mentioned early on, it was a nice showcase for... Gorilla Grodd. Now, at that at this point, I'm going to take another break, play another promo, then I'm going to come back with the new Super Friends episode, World Beneath the Ice, and the challenge of the Super Friends episode, Swamp of the Living Dead. Hang around, folks. everybody, Magnus here. At Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But mostly it's comics. And starting in February 2018, I'm launching a mega-series that's all about Batman comics. And right now, you're probably saying, but Magnus, but Magnus, does this have anything to do with that new Batman movie that may or may not be coming soon? Why, yes. Yes, it does. I plan to talk about a crapload of Batman comics, and I want you riding along in the Batmobile with me. This is The Caped Crusades, a 24-part mega-series all about Batman comics that have meant a lot to me for a lot of years now. And as I work through all of that, I'll also talk about what I personally consider to be Batman's series finale. All that and more is part of The Caped Crusades, a 24-part Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega-series. Be there in February 2018. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found at twotruefreaks.com as well as iTunes. Alright, welcome back folks. The episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of November 11th, 1978, and we're going to start with the new Super Friends episode, The World Beneath the Ice. And our synopses for both of these episodes are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. 
a polar race decides to launch a new ice age against surface dwellers. Their numbers are increasing every day, Hosea. Something must be done. Our civilization has lived beneath the ice for thousands and thousands of years. In the past, we have had to create great ice ages to stop the advancing surface civilizations. It appears that time has come again. Yes, Hosea. We must stop the selfish surface dwellers before they destroy our world and the Earth along with it. I say it's time to begin the next Ice Age and destroy the cancer that grows on the surface of the Earth. They use subs in icebergs to attack fleets and manage to freeze the Super Friends. Aquaman escapes. Aquaman, are you alright? Remora, we've got to do something. Mysterious icebergs are freezing the ships of every country and they've frozen Superman. We know, Aquaman, and that's not the worst of it. They've covered the entire Earth in ice, even the oceans. Unless something is done soon, the seas will freeze all the way to the bottom, and Atlantis will be lost as well. Our icy invaders must not know about Atlantis. It may be just the break we need. Then with help from Atlantis, free Superman. The other heroes are freed and trick the polar race into freezing the moon. This allows Superman to use a section as a parabolic mirror to thaw the Earth. The intolerant polar race is then banished to a frozen planet. I hope your banishment to the frozen planet Xeron teaches you and your leaders a lesson, Torana. Maybe next time you'll learn to tolerate others and work out your problems, rather than creating new ones. Remara, Corel, thanks for your help. You're a shining example of how one race can help another. I sure am glad those cold-hearted polar people won't be bothering us any longer. Yeah, if I didn't see any more ice for a year, it wouldn't be too soon. Oh, all right. Wonder Twin powers, activate. Shape of ice cube. That's my wonder brother. He's really an ice guy. So here we have a race that feels threatened by the progress of humanity, and it's a race that's existed for a long time beneath uh, the icy oceans, and apparently they've created several ice ages. Apparently all of the ice ages are these people's doing, so let's see what they've got in store for us, uh, shall we? So we start with a robotic eye scanning the frozen North Pole, and it looks like we've got a they look like a bunch of Vikings, and apparently they have lived under the ice all this time, and like I said, they feel threatened by humanity, which is close to discovering them. Apparently, they're, the key to their survival is not being discovered, and these guys have created Ice Ages to keep their secret. They're, the main villain in this episode is the Ice People's leader. His name is Torana, and they're not very nice people. In order to preserve their lifestyle, they, they're willing to create Ice Ages, and I kind of wonder how many times they've done this. I guess all I gotta do is look back at um, history of the uh, Earth and see how many ice ages there have been, and then I'll have my answer. And if these people live under the sea, I wonder if Aquaman knows about them. Honestly, that's something I wondered as I watched this episode for the first time. We're gonna get an answer later in the episode, and I don't want to reveal it here necessarily. So we move on to these two humans who are piloting what appears to be a cruise ship, and it's maneuvering through a pair of icebergs. I believe the narration tells me this is in the Pacific Ocean. And these two icebergs seem to have a mind of their own as they rattle the entire ship. And the ship enters the iceberg through what appears to be a garage door. So I'm not sure how this iceberg traps an entire cruise ship, but it does. And something similar is happening in the Atlantic Ocean as an iceberg grabs another ship. And this crew reacts a little bit faster and wants to get a message to the Coast Guard. 
And I presume from there the Coast Guard is going to send a message to the Super Friends. Because eventually everybody sends a message to the Super Friends. This is when the episode takes us to the Hall of Justice and Gleek is working on his tail. But I was amused when Superman lifted the bar as Gleek thought he was lifting the barbell. So over the trouble alert, both the US and Russia are reporting missing ships, so... It's the trouble alert! Super Friends... The President has personally asked for your assistance in a matter of the gravest importance. Dozens of our country's vessels have disappeared without a trace. We'll get right on it, Admiral. Wonder Woman and I can search the Pacific while... Holy double-header! Another emergency! Super friends, we have learned that your Navy has missing ships. We in Russia are also experiencing such a problem. Our merchant fleet and naval vessels are vanishing. We need your help! We'll do our best. We'd better split up and search the oceans of the world. Right, let's go. It's nice to see that both uh, enemies in the Cold War, which was going very strong at this time, are facing similar problems. And now the ice ship is going after the USS Seventh Fleet. And no one can understand how the iceberg is following them, but the Navy is going to blast them nonetheless. So it's clear that the ice people have more advanced weaponry than the U.S. does, as the U.S. ships are firing projectile weapons, you know, torpedoes and whatnot, while the ice men are shooting lasers. So over the ocean, Superman catches up with the iceberg as it steals one of the aircraft carriers. And I do like this shot as Superman flies into the iceberg and basically pushes the boat out as Aquaman swims in. It's a very busy shot, but, you know, I like the choreography. Superman goes in after the boat, pushes it out, and like I said, you can see at the bottom of the screen Aquaman going in. So, very well done here. And Aquaman is discovered in the iceberg. And it's always interesting to hear, and this is the first time I've ever come across this, where somebody calls Aquaman a surface dweller. Well, aside from, you know, the Atlanteans and various stories who don't necessarily believe Aquaman has the right to the throne, they'll call him a surface dweller. But you generally don't see that from outsiders. So this episode is spending a lot of time showing uh, various countries throughout the world getting attacked by these icebergs. And everyone contacts these super friends. And we've already seen Aquaman and Superman being completely ineffective, so I only wonder what anybody else could do. Wonder Woman and Batman and Robin try to help in their respective vehicles, the invisible jet and the bat plane, but they're eventually frozen. So now the twins get wind of everything and they go to help. Zan is uh, confident in his ice powers as he becomes an ice jet while Jaina becomes a seagull. So they get onto the ice ship as Jaina becomes a penguin and Zan, an ice computer. Gleek, however, is still just a monkey. But of course, something goes wrong as they can get the cable or something. One of the soldiers pulls on Gleek's tail and gets the twins caught. I'm not sure how you mistake a monkey's tail as a cable, but this guy did. So Zan threatens to destroy the icebergs by throwing a switch, but basically all this does is amuse uh, Tarana. And because Zan pulls a lever and he traps himself and Jaina in an ice cell. Romac? You know what to do with these two. When you're finished with them, alert all iceberg ships. Tell them to prepare for worldwide attack. Yes, Tarana. You'll never freeze the Earth while the Wonder Twins are around. You'd better call back your fleet, or I'll... I'll throw these switches and destroy your iceberg. Go on, surface dweller. Try it. Okay, you asked for it. for activating the ice cell. You saved me the trouble. It looks like my wonder brother made me a wonder blunder. The iceberg fleet is in position, Torana. Very well. Commence firing. You know, bringing back that fine tradition of Wonder Twin uselessness, which, after about a season and a half, is starting to get a little old. So, with the Super Friends out of the way, 
The ice people freeze everything. And I wish I had something better to call them than the ice people. Then their race has never really given a name in this episode. And the only one of their of these people that's given a name is Tarana, the main villain. Now this freezing, if it were possible, should kill everyone immediately, but I have a feeling it's not going to. It'd be a little dark on a kid's cartoon to destroy the entire population of Earth. So, and it looks like the people who weren't frozen solid were captured. Aquaman is down, but he's not out of it, as he sends a weak signal to some swordfish that rescue him from the ice. So, in Atlantis, Aquaman doesn't know about the ice race, so uh, the Atlanteans give him the proper exposition to tell him what's going on. And, you know, (laughs) something else I'm not really used to seeing is Aquaman is getting some cooperation from Atlantis. And he takes some uh, Atlantean soldiers and saves Superman, and they go after Batman and Wonder Woman. And Superman's heat vision comes in awfully handy at a time like this, as he thaws out Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman very quickly. And, you know, they go home. Because, you know what, they have to go search the internet to find out the solution to all their problems. And I really do like this shot of the frozen Hall of Justice. The narrators really took a lot of effort to make sure the Hall of Justice looked as frozen as everything else, and they didn't just use a stock shot. So Superman has a plan that will use Tyrannus ice against him. Superman finds the twins, and... He uses his heat vision to get onto Tyrannus' ship, while the other super friends go to the moon. And somehow, Tyrannus talks to them on the moon, and talks to Batman, Robin, and Wonder Woman, and they're going to... Tyrannus wants to freeze the moon, so yeah, there you go, he's freezing the moon. Excellent. The surface population shouldn't be giving us any more trouble for thousands of years. Maybe not, Tyrannus, but we'll be giving you plenty of trouble. We've escaped to the moon and won't give up until we formulate a plan to defeat you. You'll defeat no one, fools! Those ignorant surface dwellers gave away the hiding place. Prepare the atomic ice ray. We'll freeze the entire moon and put an end to them forever. I'm not sure how that works in space, but it's gonna it's going to. You know, I thought at first that transmission from the moon was just kind of a distraction for Superman and Aquaman time to find the twins, but that's only part of the plan, as the other part of the plan was to go Torana into freezing the moon. So Superman goes to the moon and with a mighty karate chop, creates an ice mirror that reflects the sun's rays to thaw the earth rather quickly. And this kind of reminds me of what we saw at the ending of Batman and Robin. Heaven forbid I'm comparing something from, from the late 70s to Batman and Robin, but for those of you who remember that movie, Batman and Robin aligned, or maybe it was Robin and Batgirl who operated the computer at the time, aligned uh, Bruce Wayne's satellites to thaw the earth using the mirrors. Kind of the same principle here. I'm not going to give them the credit and say they got that idea from this episode, but it is something similar. As Superman uses the uh, ice mirror to reflect the light of the sun to melt the ice on the Earth, which works in the context of this episode. But you got to think, if Superman is holding an ice mirror, why aren't the rays of the sun just melting the mirror in his hands? You know, food for thought. So with the Earth thawed, the super friends defrost the Iceman as well and win the day. And... Apparently, these ice people have been so bad that the Superfriends have banished them to uh, an ice planet, which is probably a violation of their right to due process, but it's probably the best thing for the ice people. As far as our ending, Zan turns into some ice cubes and Gleek drinks him, and I just want to go, ew. So, not a great episode here, not a bad one, you know, it, it exists, it's there, and I really don't have much else to say about that. Let's move right on to the Challenge of the Superfriends episode. Swamp of the Living Dead, and our synopsis is as follows. A swamp witch summons an evil being who offers evil power to the Legion. There's that old witch again, prowling through the swamp. Solomon Grundy, not recognize her! 
not seen her in Swamp before. She must be a spy for the Justice League, searching for the Legion of Doom. We shall soon find out. The four of us will pay her a visit. And give her a little taste of her own witchcraft. <laughs> Just making my way like the other slithering beasts. It won't do any good to lie to us. We know the super friend sent you to spy on the Hall of Doom. Solomon Grundy, take care of her. Fools, you may think you're the only evil ones in the swamp, but you're not. Release me, and I'll see that you have the greatest evil power of all time. You don't really expect us to believe a preposterous story like that. Suit yourselves. I doubt you're capable of handling it anyway. Wait, maybe she speaks the truth. Besides, what have we to lose? No more than your lives. <laughs> Follow me. We're here. I never even knew this part of the swamp existed. There's no time to waste. Join hands. Avrava, Demonola, Sultan. In exchange for the power of evil I am to give you, you must bring me an equivalent amount of the power of good. But we have nothing to kill. That's good. Yes, we do. We'll bring the super friends to the swamp and get rid of them in the same evil stroke. So far, you have failed to get rid of these super friends. But bring them to me, and they will bother you no more. Only then shall you receive your power. <laughs> Come, we've got to get back to the Hall of Doom and set our first super trap. So the Legion lures each super friend to the swamp where they are captured and kept in eternal sleeping cases. The evil being grants the Legion power to animate the dead. You have done well. I don't feel any different. You've tricked us. Before you cast your doubts, take another look. Test out our new army of living dead by taking over the government plutonium plant at the edge of the swamp. 
The Legion uses the zombies to attack a federal plutonium plant, then tries to get more power from the being. Now that we control the power of this evil being, there's nothing we can't achieve. I don't think so. You thought you could simply put me in a container and use me at your whim? <laughs> well, you've made a terrible mistake, and it will be your last. <laughs> what can we do? There's no telling what evil that sinister head will unleash on us. Nonsense! There's never been a threat the Legion of Dome couldn't handle. It's the intruder horde! Someone's approaching the Hall of Doom! It's the zombies! That evil being has turned them after us! My Phazon Disintegrator will take care of them! This causes the being to turn the zombies against the Legion, and to survive, the Legion must free the Super Friends, who are told by the Witch how to stop the zombies. Crash back into the swamp! A fitting place for the end of the Legion of Doom. Just a moment, Super Friends. Not long ago, I saved your skins and performed a service for the side of good. Now I must be fair and balance the score for evil. <laughs> They've tricked us again. There seems to be no way to predict what those with evil minds will do. Except for one thing which is easy to predict. Their constant fight against justice and the super friends. Alright, for those of you who uh, don't regularly listen to Fear of the Walking Dead cast and get to hear me talk about zombies there, you're going to get to hear me talk about zombies here. Aren't you lucky? I'll leave that to you to decide. And as usual, this episode is starting in the swamp, but we're not going straight to the Legion of Doom headquarters here. This time, there's an old lady, and, you know, she looks like an evil witch. She's got the evil witch look about her. She's got the tattered robes, the hood, and she's ugly. At this time, you don't see very many evil witches that are, you know, young, vibrant, and beautiful. They're all ancient and ugly, you know. She kind of looks like uh, the witch from Snow White that uh, gave her the poison apple. And apparently the Legion of Doom has seen her before in the swamp. And, of course, because she's there, the only reason Black Manta can think of is that she's a Justice League spy. I'm not sure how he gets to that. Maybe because there are so few people in uh, this swamp. I don't know. But, you know, one thing I was thinking about when I was watching this episode, and it has no bearing on this episode or anything else, it's just kind of a thought that struck me, is I find it interesting that, you know, the Legion of Doom, I believe it's, you know, it kind of gives me a kind of a Louisiana Bayou swamp vibe. I don't know if anybody's actually said that the Legion of Doom swamp is, you know, off the coast of New Orleans or something in the swamp there, but or if it's Florida. But I find it interesting that while at least the Louisiana Bayou is where uh, Justice League Doom put it, and if that's, you know, kind of where it's the Super French show intends for it to be, it's kind of interesting that Bell Rave... The prison that uh, will become home to the Suicide Squad is in the same area. I'm not sure if there's a parallel there, but I just think it's interesting. So basically, uh, back to the witch, Grundy, Luthor, and Scarecrow, and Cheetah ambush her, and they are still 100% sure the Justice League sent her there, and despite no evidence to back up their claims. But, you know, she refutes that and promises them the most evil power of all time. 
Cheetah's not buying it, but Scarecrow basically figures since nothing else has worked, nothing is lost by trying. And that alone kind of gets the Legion of Doom to go along with this. So she holds up a snake and summons an evil spirit, because what else would you do with a snake other than summon an evil spirit? And the ghostly head looks a bit like a vampire, and he wants something from the Legion of Doom, because, you know what, all evil beings that are offering great power want something. I don't think it ever dawned on Luthor that there would be a price, but the floaty head wants an equal force of good, and but even the head knows how useless the Legion has been against the Super Friends. And to kind of counterpoint how useless the Legion has been against the Super Friends, the uh, Super Friends are kind of sitting at the uh, Hall of Justice, kind of bored. They're all just kind of standing there. It would be interesting if, uh, you know, maybe show the Super Friends doing something, you know, other than standing around looking bored. I mean, obviously the Wonder Twins are doing something. I didn't write down what they were doing, but they were doing it. So the, uh, the bored Super Friends get a call from Hawkman that he's stuck in the swamp. And Batman and Robin, uh, this gives Batman and Robin a chance to show off their bat buggy, which is apparently great for off-roading in the swamp. Now, obviously, it's not Hawkman who was stuck in the swamp. It is Scarecrow disguised as Hawkman, and they take Batman and Robin's bat buggy, and Batman and Robin get tied up by, by vines and dragged under the water and basically put in a container and uh, rendered unconscious as the floaty head approves. And I hate the fact that I'm returning to what you consider the villain in this episode as the floaty head, but he's not given a name. So floaty head guy is going to have to do. So after all this happens, the Hawkman just strolls into the Hall of Justice and uh, reveals that he hasn't been to the swamp today. Hawkman, you're all right. Then where are Batman and Robin? I don't know. I haven't seen them all day. But they went into the swamp to help you. The swamp? I've been in the desert helping the Air Force with their parachute tests. It must have been a trap. We've got to get to the swamp and find Batman and Robin. I'll go with Green Lantern. He's been in the desert. You know, as if that's something he regularly does. No, no, sorry, Superman, I didn't go to the swamp today. I was in the desert. No water for me today. So, he and Green Lantern are off to find Batman and Robin in the swamp, where they run afoul of Sinestro and Solomon Grundy. And they end up in the same water as Batman and Robin and find themselves in their own little glass coffin. And I'm thinking that at some point, the Super Friends would attack with all the power of all of their numbers, but they don't because we need to fill out time in this episode or something. So, now Superman's going alone, and almost as if his Superman read my previous note, he tells the rest of the Super Friends that if he's not back by midnight, he wants the rest to go in full force. My question became immediately, why don't they do that now? But nope, here is Superman about to go it alone against Pizarro and Luthor, and he's grabbed by kryptonite vines and dragged under the water with everybody else. And I must say, the Super Friends are being very stupid in this episode. They're not planning, they're not attacking with all of their numbers, and why? And that's something that you see a lot during the course of this show, is you see one or two of them kind of go out at a time. You don't... It seems silly that if nine of them are at the Hall of Justice... I mean, yeah, you want to leave somebody to watch the trouble alert, but there's no reason to leave five people at the Hall of Justice watching the computer. So, not very good planning on their part. So now, you know, as Wonder Woman kind of watches the clock tick down to midnight... Now they're all going to go to the swamp. And it's about time, but it's no use. as everybody, without the help of Superman or anybody powerful, they all get dragged out into the bog. Like I said, this episode is not a very good showing for the Super Friends at all. So now the Legion wants the power that the evil floaty head promised, and I was waiting for the floaty head to double-cross them. But it doesn't. The floaty head actually gives them the evil power of eternity. So, their new power is to control the dead and bring a zombie plague about the Earth. 
I don't necessarily know that this is what the Legion of Doom was seeking, but this is what they got. And these zombies are immune to just about everything. They just keep walking out of the swamp, and the first thing Luthor's going to do is he's going to send them after the government plutonium plant, which is local to the uh, swamp. And as the uh, zombies, like I said, are immune to anything, this gives the Legion of Doom their next bright idea. They want to take all of the floaty head's powers. So they trap the floaty head in a big orb, and uh, but this is what leads to their downfall. And sure enough, it does, as, of course, uh, floaty heads that give you the power of evil get pissed when you try to put them in a container. And he turns the zombies against the Legion. And they tear through the Hall of Doom like it was paper. Any, if any of you have played a, have you know seen The Walking Dead or even played a, you know, a post-apocalypse zombie video game, is enough zombies show up at your door and start rattling things. They'll find a way to break through, and they tear the through the Hall of Doom like it was paper. And the Legion of Doom has a novel idea. They're going to free the Super Friends to kind of save themselves. The, you know, if they let the Super Friends fight the zombies, that'll allow them to get away. Which is interesting, because normally they get away with the help of the Hall of Doom, and it doesn't look as though the Hall of Doom is going anywhere at this point. So Green Lantern's powerling is power, Green Lantern's powering is powerless to stop the zombies, as while they're initially caught in, stopped by the Green Beam, the zombies just phase through the floor and go underneath the ring's power. And now the old lady turns on the Legion of Doom and Tells the Super Friends how to get rid of the zombies. And it involves a lot of death. You gotta tie them to the dead tree with the dead vine and the dead this and the dead that. And she's clearly after herself. It's kind of unclear what her motivation is. But the zombies are destroyed and the Super Friends stop the Legion from stealing the plutonium. And I really like this one shot of Superman pushing the Hall of Doom down into the swamp. As it, I guess they were trying to get away in it. But Superman just pushes the Hall back into the swamp and just throws it away. Nice shot. So, I guess at the end, uh, it's really nice seeing Superman shown in his full-powered glory. I mean, he just pounds the Hall of Doom, which probably should have destroyed it, but it doesn't because we need the Hall of Doom for the next episodes. And at the end, we learned that the Witch and the Floaty Head were the same person, kind of, I guess. The episode doesn't really make that clear. We just have the Witch and the Floaty Head. No names, but they're defeated. You know, another okay episode. Middle of the road. Not great. Not terrible. But one of the things I liked was seeing the Legion of Doom undone by its own greed. That is, you know, one of the tropes of comic book villains is that they're, you know, they can't control their greed. They want all the power. When the float, even though the floaty head gives them the power that they need, they still want more. And they ran afoul of an evil being more powerful than themselves. And one of the things I really did like was the twist that in order to save themselves, they sacrificed their revenge on the Super Friends. You know, I guess killing the Super Friends doesn't mean anything if the Legion of Doom ends up dead as well. So, we're, I guess we're just going to have to find out what happens in the next episode, shall we? But the next episode will not be this week. It'll be next time. When I cover the new Super Friends episodes, Invasion of the Brain Creatures and the Incredible Space Circus, and the Challenge of the Super Friends episodes, Conquerors of the Future, and the Final Challenge. So, if you want to send feedback on this episode or any other episode I've discussed, Send me an email, manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. So, until next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Manascreen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo 
and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. <laughs>